before you the focus, kind of the topic, overall purpose that we were going to be looking at, that one of, one of the things that I am challenging you to do as you participate in this time of seeking God with us is that not only would you come to these our Sunday morning services over these four Sundays and the five special meetings that we've got, but that you would also be regularly praying and that you would join us in fasting. Fasting. And so I, what I need to do, I've had some questions that have come related to that, people unsure of what fasting is and the purpose behind it. So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes here, 10 or 15 minutes, and I just want to give a basic overview, some biblical instructions so that you understand what is meant by this idea of fasting, the biblical background for it, the purpose behind it, how to participate in it. There should be a sheet there uh, somewhere on a chair beside you and a pencil that you can, or pen that you can follow along. Am I doing something there, bud? My whiskers getting long or something? Okay. Been a long night and day here. We've got to get the best of this, don't we? How's that? Is that better? Okay. I don't think it's up here, bud. Feels like it's back here somewhere. Man, if I can't pace, we're doomed. <laughs> okay. Let me just begin on your notes here. Let me just begin by removing some fallacies about fasting. A couple of these uh, probably will be understandable. First one is this, biblical fasting is not a public display to gain political attention to a cause for his exposure and promotion. Give me an example of that, famous example. Gandhi, that's the first person I thought of. That's a political fast, gain exposure, promote an agenda. That's not what I'm talking about in a biblical fast. We got to try something else here, bud. I'll keep going, though. <laughs> I'm not sure that maybe you can hear me. You want me to try that, Greg? Okay. Secondly, biblical fasting is not a means to accelerate the benefits of a diet. It works quite well, but it's not a biblical fast. Number three, biblical fast is not a means of earning the grace of God. We can earn nothing from God. Gifts from God are precisely that. They are gifts. So fasting will not merit God's grace, 
and fasting will not manipulate God's blessings. That's not the purpose behind a fast. So let me just give you just kind of the ABCs here of fasting. First of all, the act or action of fasting. Here's the biblical concept. That's my book. Thank you. Okay, the biblical, whoa, I'm hot there. Heard me in Spinard. Okay, the biblical concept of fasting, it's basically this, abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Basically, the biblical context of a fast is to abstain from food for a spiritual purpose. Primarily, the most common normative pattern of Scripture is it's abstaining from all food for a set, designated, determined uh, period of time. There are, there are exceptions of that in the Bible. Matter of fact, there are fasts that are not only food, they are food and water. There's also some fasts. Daniel, for example, he fasted from all delicate foods, all tasty or rich foods for a period of time. But the normative pattern of Scripture is abstaining from all food for the purpose of a spiritual focus. So don't miss both of those pieces. It is not just abstaining from food. It is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Fasting includes both of those components. Here's the ah. It's weird. I can't, there's no way I can explain what I feel like when I have to be still. It's like the words won't come out. Biblical focus for fasting. Two comments from Jesus. And by the way, what I'd like to do, I, you know, I have done a lot of talking and I've been up a long time. I'm going to ask some people, if you will, I'm going to give some scriptures. And those of you that are brave, would you just stand up uh, from time to time when I give one and just read that out loud, and then we'll explore that a little bit. So I want to look at two passages of scripture, actually from Jesus himself, that reveal what the focus of a fast should be. So would somebody read Matthew 6? Verses 16 to 18. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. If you've got that, Jolie, would you do that? What Jesus 
is referring to there, the negative picture of the fast is a hypocritical fast. It's talking about the hypocrites that were fasting, and what was the focus? It was themselves. They were fasting so that people would see them and their piety. And then Jesus corrected that with the proper focus. He said, let your attention be on who? Let your attention be on the Father who sees what is done in secret. That's the focus. Secondly, somebody read Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15. Jesus here, notice what he does. He gave a very specific reason related to why the disciples would fast, and he connected it to the fact that he would be gone. So, fasting here will be related to the fact, Jesus said, that he is not bodily with us. And so the implication here is that in the fast, we are denying the physical, the things that are tangible, the things that are visible, so that we can focus on the one who we cannot see with our eyes. We can turn our attention fully upon the Lord. That's the biblical focus for a fast. Now, be careful not to miss, to miss this distinction. I have missed it many times myself. The following should not become your focus. Listen. This should not be your focus in fasting. Spiritual insights. Answers to a specific need. A physical benefit. Now, those are legitimate reasons for a fast. But the point I'm making here is that they should not be the focus of your attention in the fast. The focus of your attention should be upon the Lord. Yes, you are coming to him about some specific things. I am, we as elders are encouraging you to join in a church-wide corporate fast for some very specific reasons, but in the fast, the focus should not just be on the reason for the fast, but it should be upon the Lord himself. That's the point. So your focus must be upon God himself, not what you want to receive from God. Now, some practical steps when fasting. First of all, it's good to have an established purpose. An established purpose. Now, again, this is different from focus. The focus is God. 
the purpose is that for which you are seeking God. Does that make sense? Focus is God. The purpose of the fast is that for which you are seeking God. As I explained this morning, the purpose that I set before you this morning is Acts 1.8 as a chief reason or purpose for this fast that we would call out upon the Lord to pour his spirit out upon us in power for the purpose of a witness for Jesus Christ. Here are some biblical Purposes given for fasting, protection. Story there in 2 Chronicles 20, two nations coming to make war against Judah. And they prayed and called a fast for protection in that battle. Here's another reason, repentance. What do you think of when you consider the story of Jonah? You think about a, a large, hungry fish. There's a far greater story in that story than a man-eating fish. It is the story of an entire city, a great city, a large city, that when they heard the preaching of the Lord, what they did is that they repented, and the king called a fast, and all of them from the eldest to the youngest repented before the Lord and sought God and participated. City from between 600,000 and two and a half million. Wow, what would happen if Anchorage did that? <laughs> Somebody read Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. This is a very key verse about a repentance fast. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Somebody stand up and read that. You see, there's instruction there from the Lord. There is a need for the people of Israel there to be returning or turning to the Lord. They must have turned away, and he's calling them to turn back. And as a part of that turning back and repentance, they were too fast. It's a good biblical purpose. For direction in battle, for physical healing, for spiritual power. Somebody read Matthew chapter 17, 21. Matthew 17, 21. Remember the story here? The disciples of Jesus had tried to heal a Individual, 
believe a child who was demon-possessed, and they couldn't do it, and they came to Jesus afterwards, and they asked why they could not do it. And then comes this comment. Incredible truth here about spiritual power being accessed through fasting. Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. See, there are several reasons given in Scripture that we should join in a fast in some very needy times. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a needy time. I, I hope, I'm praying that God would help me like I prayed at the beginning of this service, that God would help me to see that, that he would help you to see that. We are in a desperately needy time. Is our church growing? Yes, our church is growing. It's actually growing quite rapidly, numerically. But if you consider the situation in which we find ourselves, we are in a city where 89% of over 300,000 people do not consider the church an option for their life. And the only way, ladies and gentlemen, our back is up against the wall with that. And the only way that that's going to be changed is if God pours out his power upon us to do something that will arrest their attention, that will draw them and grab them and wake them and shake them to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we could play the church shuffle game and compete with the other churches around town for the 11% in Anchorage that attend church. I don't want to be a part of that. I mean that. I do not want to be a part of that. I believe we are in a desperate situation. There's another practical step. Have a clear commitment. Have a clear commitment. When you will fast, how long you will fast, what type of fast you'll participate in. If you are unclear, you know what that'll breed? It'll breed non-commitment. If you don't decide ahead of time, if you don't have a plan, it'll probably fail. And then have a comprehensive plan. And here's what I would encourage you to make a part of that plan. First of all, as a part of that plan, have a biblical diet. A biblical diet. You're abstaining from physical food, but have a biblical diet. Feast spiritually. Determine that here is what I'm going to focus on and pursue for the next 22 days. And here is what I, I, I mean, I, I'm so, I'd be so encouraged if you just found somewhere in Scripture to pursue. Maybe God is leading you in some specific way there. If not, here's what I'd encourage you to focus on as a part of that. The book of Acts. That's what we're looking at. Look at the book of Acts. Spend time walking through, reading through, meditating upon, digging into the story of the first church and what was taking place there in power in that church. Feast upon that truth. Secondly, a prayerful heart. 
How much time, when, where, with whom? What subject will you be praying about? Think through those things. Write them down. Have a plan. God's the God of order and planning. Ladies and gentlemen, matter of fact, challenge you with this, this at the end. Maybe I'll do that again, but here is what I am. And by the way, I, I'm encouraged that you came. I am really encouraged that you came. Would you do this for the next, starting tomorrow for the next 21 days, would you commit that every single day you will take 30 minutes of your day. That you will find some time in your day that you'll plan it out. I'd encourage you, if possible, to make it the same time so you can keep a routine. But take 30 minutes in your day where you will devote that time to focusing on the Lord, to being alone with the Lord, to seeking the face of God, to reading His Word. Maybe you want to do more than that, but what I'm asking you is a minimum. Would you do that for the next 21 days without fail? I think it'd be great if we would just make that commitment that 150 or so of us here, that what we would be doing every day is we would be leaning into God for at least 30 minutes. Everything else set aside. Him and His Word and His presence as our focus. So a biblical diet, a prayerful heart. Here's the third thing. Critical component of the plan. Have a clear conscience. Have a clear conscience. Listen, unconfessed, unresolved sin will hinder prayers. Begin a fast without a clean conscience will sabotage the process before you begin. I'm not talking about you doing something to earn the grace of God here. I'm talking about you coming to Him in humbleness and brokenness with your known sin and getting it taken care of, confessing it to the Lord, getting it under the blood of Jesus Christ and leaving it behind you. I'm not talking about you beating yourself up anymore about it. I'm talking about you getting the slate clean, the conscience clear, knowing that Jesus Christ has cleansed you of that and you don't need to go back to it anymore. Unconfessed sin is the playground for the enemy to bring doubts and defeat into your life. Clear conscience. Somebody read Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. You see what? David is doing there. 
He is doing his best to get a clear conscience before God. And it sounds to me like there he has done his best to confess any known sin, but he comes to the Lord and he says, God, here's what I want you to do. Would you search me? If there are some things there that I'm not aware of right now, let me see them. Let me become aware of them because I want to get them right before you. I want to put those sins behind me. I want to have them under the blood of Christ and then I want to have you lead me in the right way. Oh, that's a... That's a great prayer. Here's the fourth part of the comprehensive plan. Have a prepared body. Have a prepared body. Gorging before a fast is not a good idea. Gorging after a fast is not a good idea. And gorging during a fast is not a good idea. If you're going to do an extended fast, interesting, I talking to one of my sons the other day, it's not, I don't even remember how it was brought up, it wasn't related to this, but it was some mention of a, uh, a long extended fast uh, that someone had taken 21 days and he could not believe that it was possible somebody could live for 21 days without food. You can make it a day without food, folks. If you've never found that out, you honestly can. Now, I'm aware that there are, there are some who might have some medical condition or issues that they need, they need to be careful of and get some advice from their doctor, and I'd encourage you to do that if that was you. I'm not asking you to uh, throw wisdom to the wind here. But... I am saying if you're in relatively good health without a medical condition that would preclude it, fasting is not going to kill you and it will actually be a great benefit to your life. For an extended fast, fruits and raw vegetables one to two days before fast is a good idea, medically proven. Again, medical condition, consult a doctor, and hunger pains are not a medical condition. Point number two here, the benefits of fasting. Answered prayer. Answered prayer. I have had stories in my life where through a focused time of Fasting and prayer, God has done some miraculous things. Would anybody else in here just raise their hand and say, I've had some of those times as well. That's a benefit of fasting, answered prayer. Here's another one, spiritual reward. Matthew chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Jesus does not say what reward will be given, but he does say that those who fast in the right way that the Father in heaven sees and rewards. Number three, spiritual power. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 indicates this. 
Why does that work? By the way, somebody read Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. When you turn your focus upon God, when you deny the physical to enhance the spiritual and you feast upon God's truth and you spend time in God's presence, what happens to your faith? Your faith rises. The more and more you get your focus and your attention on God, your faith rises. And it's not that Something increases in you that brings about the power. It's that faith. God responds to our faith with his acts of power. That's the story of Scripture. And so the spiritual focus on God helps our faith in God and his promises to increase. And that faith brings about God's power. And then number three, the challenge to fast. And I've already basically given this to you, but let me ask you two questions here. Is fasting mandatory? Is fasting mandatory? Somebody read again. I believe we've read it once, but Matthew 9, 15. Matthew 9, 15. Somebody read that. Has the bridegroom been taken away? Has Jesus been taken back? And what did that scripture say would happen then? And then they would what? They would fast. Implication is undeniable here. In the mind of Jesus, his followers will fast. The followers of Jesus will fast. Fasting, though it is a fairly rare discipline in the evangelical church of our culture, it shouldn't be. It should be a part of our normal practice. So here's a better question. Is fasting mandatory? That's not the right question. Here's the better question. Is fasting Christ's desire for you? And I am saying to you, he's already communicated that it is, if you're his follower. So the fast here, I'm not trying to prescribe to you what you would do and how you would do it, what days you will fast or what meals you will fast over the next 21 days. I'm just asking you to consider it and decide with the Lord, between you and the Lord. Some of you may want to fast a day or two a week. Some of you might want to fast a meal a day for the next 21 days. And if you, if you never eat breakfast, don't say, oh, I'm fasting breakfast. Deny the physical to focus on the spiritual upon God.
so there's just a place for you to put your commitment. It's between you and the Lord. Here's what, here's what you believe, or you're deciding before the Lord that you're going to do as you participate with Him in this. And then the other bullet point there is I will pray daily over the next 21 days for God's will to be accomplished within Cornerstone Church. Okay. Hopefully that'll give you a good enough background and basis for fasting if that's a new concept uh, to you. What I want to do now is I want, again, what we're doing tonight is we're just kind of kicking off this thing, getting some things set in place like we've just done. And Now what I want to do is I want to set up just a, a time of corporate prayer. I'm going to do some teaching from the story of Moses related to this to set it up, and then we're going to have a couple different leaders that I'm just going to have come up here and pray over each one of the three requests that we're going to draw out of the story of Moses. And then after that, we'll have some more worship time, and then we'll go into a time of prayer cells where we have you group up and spend some time uh, praying as God leads you to in your groups. So let me just spend some time here introducing this corporate prayer focus. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And here is the question that I want to look at in this story of Moses really briefly here is I want to ask this question, what is it that we should be praying for? What is it that we should be praying for? In this story, Moses finds himself in a pretty desperate, a pretty difficult situation as he is leading the people that, of Israel that God has placed into his care out in the wilderness. And I want to pick up in Exodus 33, 12 through 17. We have somebody that will just go through that first, and then I'll come back and draw some truths out of that. So would somebody just stand up, a loud reader that will read out verses 12 through 17? What did Moses pray for? I want to. I just want to bring out three things in this prayer I, that I think are really clear that are on the heart of Moses. And uh, 
I think this is a, it's a great model prayer for revival right here. It's a great model as Moses, as we draw out these truths about Moses' prayer, about what we should be praying for. First of all, look again at verse 13. Now therefore, Moses said, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. Did Moses already know God? Of course he knew God. Of course he knew God. But do you hear the cry of his heart? Moses wanted to know more of God. Moses here wanted a deeper, a more personal knowledge of God. He wanted an intimate, a direct knowledge of God. What he wanted was a manifestation from God that would cause him to know God more. That was the cry of his heart here If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us out. Moses here is praying for the manifest presence of God. I want you to understand that, not just the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. That's clearly articulated there because the reasoning he gives is that if you don't do that, how is anybody else on the outside, the world on the outside, going to know that we are yours if there is not some outbreak or manifestation that you are truly with us in power? Moses here is praying for the very presence of God. He wasn't satisfied with the ordinary. He knew God But he wanted the extraordinary. I think God loves that. What should we be praying for? A clear manifestation of God in his love. A clear manifestation of God in his holiness. That God would reveal himself to us. That he would manifest his presence among us in such a way that would Cause us to know him more, to see him as he is. That's one of the prayer requests. In a minute, I'm going to have one of our elders come up here and pray over, lead us in a corporate prayer for a prayer for God's presence his manifest presence to be known and felt and experienced in the life of this church. When we get through these three, I'm going to have Elder Greg Rumsey come and do that. But it's the second thing that Moses prayed for. Look at verses, Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 and 14. And he said, and God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If your presence does not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What I believe Moses is praying here is not only for God's presence, but he's praying for God's power. If you do not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Ladies and gentlemen, Moses knew about the great dilemma that he was in. They were a bunch of farmers, no weapons, out in the wilderness, dangers on every side. Moses knew the situation is drastic, and so he says, God, if you do not go with us, then don't even send us up. Ladies and gentlemen, do we realize the magnitude of the problem? Bring it here to our day. Two hundred and seventy thousand lost, possibly around two hundred and seventy thousand lost souls. What do they need? I talked to you about this this morning. What do they need? They don't need to just see us driving to the church on Sunday morning. They need to see outbreaks of the power of God, the living God who is alive and well and doing the miraculous in the lives of his people. That's what they need to see to grip them and arrest them. Moses knew that what, the, what needed to happen was that God's power needed to be displayed and break, needed to break out in some mighty ways if they were going to get accomplished what needed to happen. We need the same. We need the same. Moses is praying a prayer here for the power of God. Ladies and gentlemen, revival must begin with this realization that without God's power breaking out, we can do nothing. It's got to begin right there. I'm going to ask Elder Bob Hopkins to come in a few minutes here and pray a prayer. Lead us in a prayer. Praying that God would manifest his power in the life of this church in ways that would cause the world, the lost world, to have their attention arrested, their eyes fixed, their interest gripped, their heart melted, their ears open to the truth. And then 
verse 16, third prayer of Moses. Exodus chapter 33, 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? See, what I believe Moses is praying here is that God would show the fact that his church equivalent to Israel in the Old Testament, that his church is his very own special possession. Moses here is praying about the honor of God's chosen people. He is praying that it will become known to the world that yes, in fact, They are the very people of the living God. That the promises God made to them are in fact being kept. I could say that another way. It was a prayer for God to authenticate His Word. It was a prayer that God would authenticate his word. He had given them promises. He had called them to be his own. He had chosen them for himself. He had led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And what Moses is reasoning with God here about, he's saying, God, if you brought us out here and everyone knows that you did that, it was not done in a corner, it was works of mighty power and your outstretched hand of power that humbled the most powerful nation on the earth and let us out. Now, if you leave us out here to just die, if you desert us here, what's that going to say? What's that going to say about us? What's that going to say about you? God, would you authenticate your promise? Would you vindicate, validate the truth of your plan, your promise, your word? I think this is a very similar equivalent to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, 29 and 31. Apostles had been imprisoned and threatened and were released and they went back to the church and they told the church what had happened and they had been commanded not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus and they gathered to pray in Acts chapter 4. And here's what they prayed. I want to read this passage. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were asking there that God would enable them to proclaim the truth that they had been commanded not to proclaim, to continue to preach about the truth about Jesus Christ, and that God would show up in power to vindicate that truth, to say, yep, it's true. I'm going to show you it's true by some outbreaks of my power. I think that is the third request that Moses is asking for here. He's asking for God to vindicate his truth in the life of his people. So prayer number one, prayer for God's presence. Prayer to know him in a more personal way. Elder Greg, would you come? I'm going to have you pray about that in a minute. And then Bob, Elder Bob, would you come? I want you to pray a prayer for God's power to be displayed. Power that would arrest the attention of the world. And then thirdly, and Nate, Elder Nate, would you come? I want you to pray that God's truth would be vindicated, validated in what he does. I'm just going to have these guys lead us just one after the other in a, just a time of corporate prayer, and then we'll go into a time of some prayer ourselves. Go ahead. Holy, holy Lord. What a privilege it is to bow our heads corporately as your church, as your body, as you've called us here tonight. And lift your name on high. Lord, we seek you. We desire you more. Lord, I can speak and say that each one of us are walking testimonies of what you've done in each of our lives. We also represent the testimony of of what you're still doing and yet to do. Lord, as we begin right now as a church corporately just calling out to you, just feel it's appropriate to start by casting our burdens, laying them before you, Lord. Anything that is hindering us, we lay that down. And Lord, we turn our, our hands to you, our hearts to you. It's with great expectation that we can call on the name of Jesus and know that you've got a plan for this church, for each one of us. Lord, just as, as Moses prayed, we can corporately lift it up and just say, now therefore, if we have found favor in your ways, in your sight, 
please show us your ways that we may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Thank you, Jesus. As we embark on this 21, 22 day seeking you, Lord, I just pray that you will radically meet each one of us. Draw us to you. Lord, we do pray for your manifest presence in each of us in each of our families, in each of our households, in your church, or right here in Cornerstone. So thankful for what you're doing here, Lord. It's all about you. We just pray you keep us out of your way. Use us. Father God, we cry out to you. There's many places in scripture where it's recorded, where your people cried out to you, and we cry out to you now, Lord God. We really are in a desperate situation, but I don't really realize it fully. We are asking you to change us. We want to be different, Lord. We need to be different. We need to expect you to change us, Lord, by the power of your presence. Your presence, Lord, is great, and the power that's inherent in that, Lord, we are asking for that to be revealed and to be applied, Lord, here, that attention will be drawn to your name, to the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the gospel of Christ as a witness to this community, Lord God. We cannot do that on our own power. We can do nothing on our own. We recognize that. Father God, we've proven over and over again, I've proven to myself that when I go out on my own strength, uh, I come back with nothing or even less. But when you are there, when you are providing the strength and we're relying on you, all things are possible. Dear God, we thank you for the faith that you've given us. It's a faith in the one and the faithfulness of the one who made the promise. And you are faithful in all things. Please, Lord God, use us. Use your church. Bless us, Lord, that we could be a blessing to the many, many, many in our city, Lord who I think you look out and you see them and you say, these people are mine. God, let's go out and claim them in the name of Christ. Use us, Lord, mightily, and may your power be applied to your glory, through your church, through us. We ask that, Lord, and we just seek you. Use this time, Lord, to provide and to evoke your will. May it be done in us as you desire. May you find us willing and obedient immediately to what you are calling us to do. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we pray like Moses did that we would find your favor, but not your favor so that we can live more of the world and have more of the world, but so that we can have more of you and we can understand how to Allow our light to shine for you instead of, as a kid's song, talk about putting it in a bushel, but actually take the bushel off and let your your work in our life show a testimony to the people around us, the people we're connected to, and that we'll actually find the favor to 
validate your truth in scripture that shows that you can make only the changes that can be made within us and need to be made that that will bring others to you Lord and that you will allow us to just walk in faith walk in power and deal with the things in this world that come upon us in a way that just points back to you Lord and doesn't take any credit in itself that we are truly dependent on the work of your spirit in our lives and allow the spirit to become the captain and not the co-pilot Lord so often we hear people talking about you're their co-pilot and we're just asking God that you will become the pilot and we'll just be along for the ride I pray that for each of us Lord in your name we pray amen